Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 14, take one. This is Rackhouse Ramblings. I'm Jeff, and this is episode number 14. I'm excited for this week's podcast. I have uh, an interesting segment this week. It's about the Costco toilet. I um, also have a new bottle of bourbon for the bourbon spotlight. It's a Four Roses single barrel. You know, I like the single barrels. And also this week, I have a cool book to read. It's by one of my favorite people, uh, Anthony Bourdain, and I think you guys will like it. So stay tuned and let's get this podcast started. Right, Rackhouse Ramblings number 14. I'm recording this on Sunday the 21st. And in case you didn't know, it's the summer solstice. No shit. Summer solstice is the longest day of the year, in case you didn't know. So uh, according to Wikipedia, the summer solstice, also known as the Estival Solstice or Midsummer, occurs when one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt toward the sun. I bet you didn't know that. Happens twice a year, once in each hemisphere. Uh, given whatever hemisphere you're in, we're in the northern, the summer solstice is when the sun reaches its highest position in the sky. And this is the day with the longest period of sunlight. So another thing, if you were in the Arctic Circle or the Antarctic Circle, there'd be continuous daylight around the summer solstice. And so in case you wanted to know also, (laughs) I'm going to tell you everything you want to know about the solstice, the tilt of the earth towards the sun is 23.44 degrees. Bet you didn't know that, right? So let's talk about summer solstice rituals. So some people do crazy shit on this day, but you can celebrate yourself by gathering uh, plants and healing herbs that are considered to be uh, potent or powerful, mostly during the summer solstice. And the Celtics believe that St. John's wort, uh, yarrow root, fern, mugwort were the most potent plants during the summer solstice. Another common ritual, and this one you can do as well, Uh, is forming of a circle or a spiral. So the circle is created by joining hands with a group of like-minded people, friends, and family. Doesn't that sound like fun? And so you get in a circle, and then you dance and sing and celebrate the longest day of the year. (laughs) You can also create a sun wheel from flowers and plants, things like that. And also many cultures uh, make a sacred fire circle or a bonfire. See, you can do that as well for the summer solstice. So you create a massive bonfire, celebrate with your family and friends. And if you don't want to do a bonfire, you could do a candle. That's pretty symbolic as well. And some cultures also believe that trees are significant. So people make prayer sticks or trees during the solstice, prayer sticks or treat, huh? That didn't make sense. Then they write down their prayers on a sheet of paper and uh, stick it on the prayer stick or the tree. Huh? That's interesting. Their prayers aren't meant for yourself, but for someone else. So keep in mind, um, our some our hemisphere, uh, the solstice signifies summertime. But if you were in the southern hemisphere, like Brazil or Argentina or something like that, that would signify winter time. And here's something else I uh, found out is that um, so when the Earth is tilted. Uh, we're like 23 and a half degrees right towards the sun and the highest point that the how do we say it like um, the sun is directly overhead at noon 
Um, if you were 23 and a half degrees off of the equator, the sun would be directly overhead. That's also called the Tropic of Cancer. Now, um, that's as far north as the sun gets for being directly overhead. So where we are right now is 42.4 degrees from uh, the equator. And I bet you didn't know this, but if you drive north on I-75, and just before you get to Gaylord, on the side of the freeway, I think it's in the middle median or side, I can't remember, but there'll be a sign that says you've crossed the 45th parallel. It means you're halfway between the North Pole and the equator. So think about that. So the sun, uh, if, if you're at 23 and a half degrees from the equator, tropical cancer, the sun will be directly overhead. But since we're beyond that, the sun won't be directly overhead. It'll always be to our southern sky. So there you have it. That's like all the stuff you ever want to know about summer solstice. So enjoy the longest day of the year. I'm going to break out some sage and do the uh, plant thing. And we'll be right back with the next segment. I hope you guys like it. I'm back and this is the cool book to read segment I kind of like that this is one I was excited for so um on Rackhouse Ramblings I like to talk about cool and interesting things kind of hopefully you guys like them but um right now I'm gonna tell you guys about a cool book I read it's called Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain and the author might sound familiar because he's known for a tv show that used to run on CNN it's called Parts Unknown and before that he had another show called No Reservations and um, his name's, like I said, Anthony Bourdain, and he was trained as a chef. Then he began to write a few books, then he became a TV show host, and um, I like him. I, I should say I used to like him. He died a couple years ago from suicide, and we won't get into that too much. That kind of makes me sad, but let's talk about his book. It's called Kiffin, Kitchen Confidential. He's got a, a handful of books. This is the one I recently read, though. And this was his kind of his breakout book that made him famous, and it tells the story of or his story of being a kitchen worker in some of the swankiest restaurants in the world and he pretty much spills the dirt and there were actually people that were upset about him for telling all this behind the scenes stuff and in case you didn't know you don't just hire in like if you're in the, the restaurant world you don't just hire in as a chef or a cook unless you're really well established but to start in this business you have to start at the bottom just like anywhere and work your way up and usually that means like a pot washer or a dishwasher and I had to laugh you know uh, me and Anthony Bourdain have something in common, right? Who would have thought? So back in the 80s, early 80s, I was in high school and I worked at a Sweden House Buffet restaurant. And that was a predecessor to Old Country Buffet. And to get there, I felt pretty lucky when I got in. My friend Martin put in a good word for me and got me the job. And I started as a busboy and I eventually got promoted to a pot washer and then dishwasher. And who would have thought, right? Those are promotions. You get like an extra 10 or 15 cents an hour. And then finally, I worked my way up to like a line prep guy and would take the food out to the uh, buffet line. But anyway, maybe I should have written a book, right? But somebody remind me and I'll probably, I got a few good stories from my restaurant days. But let's get back to Kitchen Confidential. I thought the book was a cool read. Um, it tells it like it is. And I can, after reading it, I'll tell you, I'm never going to eat fish specials on a Monday. And for God's sakes, I am never going to eat a brunch buffet again, those Sunday brunches. And what I found out is all the leftovers from the past week go into that Sunday brunch buffet line. And you probably didn't know this, but most chefs don't work on Sunday. So if you're eating there on a Sunday, guess who's cooking? 
I don't have any idea either. You probably don't either. But anyway, um, I wouldn't eat on a Sunday <laughs> brunch or anything like that. Um, Anthony Bourdain was known. He was like the rock and roll chef. He would get done working um, in New York City around that area is where he spent a lot of his time. Uh, actually, in his kitchen, he'd be playing like punk rock music over the speakers. He'd hang out at all the cool bars after hours. Uh, he did become like a, a heroin addict and a cocaine addict. And he writes all these things in his book, writes about his recovery and finding peace and happiness like in the kitchen and all that. And the book, um, another thing I liked about the book, he, it's, he has some really good quotes on it. And I'll read you one from there. One of his quotes is, your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. And that was from Kitchen Confidential. And then another one of my favorites, he, he writes in there because he talks about uh, having to interview and hire and fire, not only being the chef, but being like human resources, the guy in charge and all that. But one of his quotes was, skills can be taught character you either have or you don't have and I kind of like that when I pulled those two out I like there's a lot of Anthony Bourdain quotes if you google it so um I like his writing style it's really like conversation rather than a book you know it's like you're kind of talking to someone you can when I read it I can hear it in my head there's a lot of cooking terms I had to look up and some French words too but it was no big deal um Kitchen Confidential was first published in 2000 and it's been updated and reprinted several times but I highly suggest you get to your local bookstore and get a copy uh it's a fun read it's a good read something to have around that uh pass the time, whatever. Um, but while we're talking about Anthony Bourdain, I want to talk about uh, this week there's a special day of celebration uh, in his name. On June 25th, they celebrate Anthony Bourdain Day. It's his birthday. And this is only the second year it's been recognized, at least on the World Wide Web. And I just heard of it a few weeks ago. And I'm going to try and celebrate it. So on this day, you typically will get together with friends and celebrate life. And in Anthony Bourdain style, you would do that with drinks, with appetizers, entrees, and laughs, and stories, and all that kind of stuff. So this Thursday, I'll be celebrating that with some friends of mine. I hope you will too. And I, I think it's a special day. I don't know. You may not, but I kind of revere Anthony Bourdain right up there with the John Belushi's and the Fred Bears and Robin Williams and Teddy Roosevelt's and Tred Barda. Those are all people that are uh, influential to me and people that I admire. So I'm going to leave you with one more quote uh, from Anthony Bourdain. I think you'll like it. If if I'm an advocate for anything, it's to move as far as you can, as much as you can, across the ocean or simply across the river. The extent to which you can walk in someone else's shoes or at least eat their food, it's a plus for everybody. Open your mind, get up off the couch, move. Okay, we're back. We have another interesting segment. Um, this was kind of like suggested by some of my listeners. So I'm going to do what they say and talk about it. This is a segment on the Costco toilet. So the other day we're sitting at the table at the station. I'm telling the guys I'm working on a bathroom remodel and I picked up this toilet and how much I love it. And they, of course, want to mess with me. Oh, what's so good about it? And of course, I rattled off all these things I liked about it. And they said, oh, you should talk about it on the podcast. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, the last few weeks, I've been working on a little bathroom remodel. And it's a mudroom bath. You know, when you come in the, the back door of your house and right off the kitchen, they call that the mudroom and uh, so I'm remodeling that bathroom. And it's one of the last rooms left in my house uh, that I have to remodel. Tore out all the existing tile and Anne took down the wallpaper. And um, this bathroom, was th it's 38 years old. It's never been touched. So my plan was patch the walls 
install some uh, hickory hardwood flooring I've left and fresh coat of paint, new vanity, new toilet, and there you go. So that brings us to the toilet. Uh, and so I bet you didn't know this, but I have a favorite toilet. It's the, the Costco toilet. It's a one piece high efficiency toilet. And, um, who would ever thought Costco, right? <laughs> so I was turned on to this, this commode by a plumber when I was finishing, uh, doing some finished trim work at a new construction house a few years back. And he went on and on about it. And I thought nothing of it till I actually bought one and used it. So, uh, I installed one in my last bathroom remodel, the master bath, probably oh, a year and a half ago or so. And I'll tell you what, it's, pretty cool toilet and let me give you talk some numbers talk some data so this is a toilet made by a company called globe union in canada but when you walk down the costco aisle it's called the water ridge one piece dual flush toilet and if you just look at the description alone it tells you a couple of things first it's a one-piece toilet and that's kind of unique you don't usually see that most of them are two-piece so when you buy a two-piece one piece is the part you sit down on right at the bottom has a trap in it another piece is the tank and that's that cube kind of that's behind you um, when you're sitting on the toilet right and I'm not a good plumber so in the past when I've installed the two-piece toilet I've had trouble with leaks coming from that connection between the tank part and the seat part um, with a one-piece design that eliminates those leaks that's a problem solver for me and the other part of the description is called dual flush so that means you have two flushing options right um, number one and number two just like how you use the toilet right <laughs> number two um, most toilets have one option and it doesn't sound like a big deal until you think about kind of like the big picture right um, the number one flush if you hit flush number one it's for pee it puts 1.1 gallons per flush. The number two is for solid waste, your poop, right? It uses 1.6 gallons per flush. Um, by using the number one option, that's almost, you save like one third amount of water, right? Um, when I was growing up, toilets, I remember, took forever to refill. And you'd hear it, like, especially if somebody got up in the middle of the night, it would take forever and ever for that tank to refill and you'd hear that water. Um, that's because they used five gallons of water per flush. Think about it. That's five freaking gallons. Um, so if you peed, you peed out maybe a cup, <laughs> of pee, eight ounces. If you really pee, that's two, 16 ounces. Um, so to get that 16 ounces down, you had to flush five freaking gallons. So um, just to put it in perspective, most newer toilets today, um, the 1.6 gallons per flush is a standard. So I Googled like, what's the average toilet flushes per day per person? Google says five. So let's do the math. If I flush five times a day, 356 days a year, that's 1,780 um, gallons a year, um, or flushes a year, right? And you multiply out. So with five gallons, that's 8,900 gallons a year. No shit. 8,900 gallons a year. So if I switch to the newer toilet, it's 1.6, right? That brings it down to 2,848 gallons a year. That's way less than half. So it, I kind of went a little bit further. If I said every other flush is for peeing and with this new toilet, that's down to 2,400 gallons a year. I say 440 gallons a year just by using that number one P thing on there. So for me, it doesn't sound like a big deal until that's just for me if I save 440. So if I times that by two, like with Ann, that's 880. And if there were two other people in the house, that's almost 17, 1800 gallons a year just by using the P one. Who would have thought, right? So not only right out of the gate, I'm gonna eliminate the chance for a tank leak. I also cut down on my water usage, and to me, that's like a win-win. When you're at Costco, they run it on sale for 149 bucks, which is a great deal. 
you got to love Costco because not only is it just a toilet, it includes a toilet seat, which is usually like another 20 bucks. The wax ring seal, when you mount it down to the to the drain, to the floor, that's another five bucks. And the hardware included and also the supply line, that's another 10 bucks that's included in the box. So it's all, it's, I think it's a great value. I know it sounds silly talking about a toilet, but it, um, I highly recommend it. And then because it's from Costco, like you can return anything, they stand behind anything. Um, and then in case you're wondering, it doesn't get clogged up. You know, if you have a heavy dump, it goes down really quick. It's, we've never had any issues. I've tested the thing and trust me, I have flushed a lot of shit. <laughs> but if there was one downside, I did have to think hard about this one. I have to admit the bowl, um, you know, like your toilet bowl will have water sitting in the bottom. This uses such little water. Like if you have a big dump, it'll leave skid marks inside your toilet even after you flush. So you may end up having to clean your bowl a little bit more often. But to me, that's an easy, easy swap. That's not a big deal. But that was the only thing that I, only negative I could think of. So maybe you found this uh, review a little bit helpful. Maybe you didn't, but you guys asked for it. So I had to talk about it. When you speak up, I listen, right? So the Costco Water Ridge one piece dual flush toilet. I like it. I use it. I recommend it. It's pretty sweet, man. Um, all the stats are online. I found out, uh, more than you'll ever want to know. I'm not going to bore you guys with it too much. So uh, we'll be right back with the next segment. All right, we're back with the Bourbon Spotlight. One of our favorite, my favorite segments, as a matter of fact. So uh, this Bourbon Spotlight is going to feature Four Roses Single Barrel Bourbon. I recently received this bottle as a gift. I want to say thanks, Eric. I appreciate it, man. Um, I got kind of excited. This is four. I'm a Four Roses fan, and this is my first bottle of their single barrel expression. And as usual, um, I went to the FourRosesBourbon.com website and did some research. I have a pretty cool website. Check it out. Um, if you're not familiar with Four Roses Bourbon, here's some background. On their website, they have a big heading called The Legend, and it began when Paul Jones Jr., the founder of Four Roses Bourbon, became smitten by the beauty of a Southern Belle. That's a woman, right? It is said that he sent a proposal to her, and she replied that if her answer were yes, she would wear a corsage of roses on her gown to the upcoming Grand Ball. Paul Jones waited for the answer excitedly on that night of the Grand Ball. When she arrived in her beautiful gown, she wore a corsage of four red roses. He later named his bourbon Four Roses as a symbol of his devout passion for the lovely Belle. A passion he thereafter transferred to making his beloved Four Roses bourbon. And they go on to give you a little bit of history. It says in 1884, Paul Jones Jr. moved his thriving business to Louisville, Kentucky, where he opened an office in a section of historic Main Street called Whiskey Row. Four years later, he trademarked the name Four Roses, claiming production and sales back to the 1860s. In 1922, the Paul Jones Company purchased the Frankfurt Distilling Company. In 1943, Seagram purchased Frankfurt Distilling primarily to acquire the most noted and recognized name in the business at that time, Four Roses Kentucky Straight Bourbon. Even though Four Roses was a top-selling bourbon uh, in the U.S. in the 30s and 40s and 50s, Seagram made the decision to discontinue the sale of Four Roses Kentucky Straight Bourbon in the U.S. 
and Four Roses was moved to the rapidly growing European and Asian markets, where it quickly became and still is a top-selling bourbon in both Europe and Japan today. In 1966, a man named Jim Rutledge, who would later become one of the world's most legendary master distillers, joined Seagram in the Louisville Plants Research and Development Department. In 1975, he was transferred to corporate headquarters in New York until 1992, when Jim was asked to return home to Kentucky to help with Four Roses brand. In 1995, he replaced Ova Haney as the master distiller. For the next several years, Jim worked tirelessly to return the Four Roses brand back to the States, a dream that would become a reality in the hands of a new owner. In February 2002, the Curran Brewing Company purchased Four Roses and its production facilities. A new acquisition was named Four Roses Distillery. Four Roses once again sold in the United States and quickly earned the reputation of being one of the most notable names in the bourbon world. In 2015, Jim Rutledge retired as master distiller, and Brent Elliott, who had worked alongside Jim for 10 years, became the master distiller. The people who work at Four Roses in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, and at our warehouse in Cox Creek, Kentucky, continue the legacy that began with Paul Jones in 1888. Their passion for quality and pride in handcrafting an award-winning bourbon is evident in the smooth, mellow taste that has become the signature of Four Roses of the Four Roses brand. So there you have it. Um, if you didn't know, Four Roses is known for having 10 different recipes. Um, they do this by using five different strains of yeast. When you pick up a bottle at, at your local store, you look at it, there's this little leather collar um, wrapped around the neck, and it's stamped with some letters, usually four letters. My bottle has two, says SB, um, meaning single barrel. So the four letters will designate the recipe. If you go on their website, they have this really cool chart, chart showing all the uh, 10 recipes and the letter codes. Um, they kind of go, I won't go through all of them, but... Um, Recipe number one has the letter code OBSV, and that has mash bill B, 60% corn, 35% rye, 5% barley, but it has a yeast strain of V as in Victor, and they say that recipe has, uh, is called a delicate fruit recipe. And if you go all the way to recipe number 10, the letter code is OESF. So that's mash bill E, which is 75% corn, 20% rye, 5% malted barley. It has a yeast strain of F as in Frank, and that says it will have herbal notes in it. So they have this little chart on there. It's kind of neat to, to check it out. So if there was a bottle of Four Roses that you liked, it's a specific recipe. You'd want to try and find it again. It says only Four Roses combines two mash bills with five proprietary yeast strains to create 10 distinct bourbon recipes. Each recipe brings something different to the batch and careful mingling mingling them allows us to achieve an endless endless range of flavor profiles to please any bourbon lover. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then um, they have another section on their webpage for the single barrel. And that's what I was, what I have here today. And that's what we're going to try out. And um, they're saying the nose of the single barrel has a dried spice, pear, cocoa, vanilla, and maple syrup nose. The palate has hints of ripe plum and cherries, robust, full body, mellow. And the finish is smooth and delicately long. Pretty cool, huh? And they also call out um, that their Four Roses single barrel is considered a high rye. Um, it also has an aged minimum of 7 to 10 years and is 100 proof. Uh, they go on to say, you'll want to savor the taste of the premium single barrel again and again. It's complex, full-bodied, and surprisingly smooth and delicate, long finish that's unbelievably mellow. Drink straight up or on the rocks. It's 100 proof. Hmm. So there you have it. 
single barrel, four roses. So I'm gonna go ahead and open this, we're gonna sample it. And while I'm doing that, I wanna talk about a, uh, a uh, podcast I listened to last night. And I want you guys to check it out. If you're into bourbon, or of course you are, you're listening to this, right? Or hopefully you are. But last night I listened to a podcast um, called Bourbon Pursuit. So uh, when you're done with this one, look up Bourbon Pursuit. And uh, Bourbon Pursuit has their most recent podcast with a guy named Freddie Johnson. And it's called the Legends Series. And um, what it is, this podcast, they do an interview with these legends in bourbon. And Freddie Johnson is pretty much the guy from Buffalo Trace. Uh, he is really a guy that just gives tours, but his family has been working at Buffalo Trace for three generations. And he is might be one of the coolest guys you will ever listen to. Just listening to his voice is really cool. The stories he has to tell is really cool. And he talks about Buffalo Trace, not just the bourbon, um, but the distillery, and being the Buffalo Trace family. He's a, he's a really cool guy. Give it a listen. It's called Bourbon Pursuit. And you can probably hear me in the background opening this bottle. So I have my Four Roses single barrel, and like I said, around the collar is a, a leather, uh, around the neck is a leather collar stamped SB, it says Four Roses single barrel, and we're going to try it out here. There we go, a nice healthy pour. And by the way, it's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to everyone out there, and we'll raise a toast, cheers. We're going to nose it. Oh boy, definitely smell the pear. Very, very smooth, very smooth. One more. Oh boy. I'm going to enjoy this bottle. Thank you again, Eric. Highly suggest if you see a bottle on the shelf, buy it. Four Roses Single Barrel. Boy, oh boy, is that good. We'll probably have a couple more pours of this for Father's Day. So there you have it. Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 14. Happy Summer Solstice. Happy Father's Day. And upcoming, uh, upcoming on Thursday, happy Anthony Bourdain Day. We'll see you guys next week. Mm -hmm.